0: You're listening to SaaS Nordic, the sassiest podcast in the Nordics. Hi, I'm Daniel. And I'm Thomas. And we are experienced SaaS professionals that are curious about how other successful SAS companies go to market, scale, build winning teams and great products.
1: Join us on our journey as we
0: speak to Nordic SaaS leaders trying to get hold of their secret sauce. And today's guest is April Dunford, the queen of positioning.
2: And then really what you're looking for is, has anything changed enough that it changes your differentiated value? If something's changed enough that, hey, the value we're driving here is different, then we gotta go back and redo the whole exercise and shift the positioning. If nothing's changed, then we say, great, it's all good. See you in six months.
0: Hey there, and welcome back to another episode of the SAS Nordic Podcast. Uh, I hope you are well. I think we're pretty good, Daniel, or what do you say? I th- I think... Well, I don't
1: think we are pretty well. We we are <laughs> splendid. I, you know, people ask us, like, how do you guys feel? Like, are you tired? Or do you need a pick-me-up or something? We feel, like, pretty energized and looking forward to... You know, Sassiest was great, but there's so many other great things for
0: happening the rest of the year. So we're yeah. full of energy here. And if you're not aware, maybe you're new to this. We, we had this fantastic big two, three day event two weeks ago uh, gathering 1100 SaaS professionals from the Nordics and outside the Nordics uh, for for a, a festival, the, the sassiest event ever. And one great thing of hosting an event like that is that you decide on the content, the speakers you want to get there, and so on. And, and we had the the pleasure of having the queen of positioning, April Dunford. Her keynotes were great, very appreciated. And we also managed to get her on the podcast. Yep. And uh, a little bit selfish here. We got some help from her about the positioning of Sass Nordic and Sassius. And I think that also can be helpful looking at her model and her approach to this. So let's take a listen. Today, we are very happy and honored to have April Dunford, the founder at Ambient Strategy here as a guest. And she was also the keynote at Sassiest, uh, known as the positioning queen. And well, we are really looking forward to spend half an hour with you here.
2: Hey, it's so good to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, thanks for hanging out with us again. It's like, you know, I'm just surprised that you haven't had enough
1: of us, you know, after (laughs) 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 a workshop together and then two sessions at
2: Sassiest is like, whew. Does she really want to do a podcast with us? We'll take it. That was fun, though. Like, it was a super fun three days, for me, anyway. Yeah. You guys were busy, but for me, that was pretty fun.
1: <laughs> no, it, it was lots of fun. And it was, again, thank you so much. It was so appreciated. I know that a lot of the, the listeners to the podcast here, they were also at the event. So, you know, thanks again for for opening up and setting the the tone a little bit for the sessions, for, for the rest of the session. It was really good.
0: Cool. But... I'm pretty sure that not everyone knows you, April, even if they should. So maybe you could give a, a little bit of background on yourself and uh, what you do. Sure. So um, so my background is I spent
2: 25 years as a repeat vice president of marketing at a series of venture-backed startups. So all in, I think I did seven. Um, uh, six of those were acquired, Um, and, uh, and so through acquisition, I ended up at a bunch of big companies running big marketing teams or sometimes product teams as well. And so I did that for 25 years. Um, about seven, eight years ago, I made the switch to consulting. And so now I work with tech companies. Um, specifically I only work with B2B tech companies. Um, and my focus area is positioning. So I only do positioning work. I don't do, um, strategy or lead generation or advertising. There's a lot of things that I don't do. And all I do is positioning work. That's my jam.
1: Right. And I know you have a little bit of an interesting background. So you are, like Thomas said, the positioning queen, and you've held all these VP of marketing roles. But you're not a trained marketer, at least not from the beginning, right?
2: Not at the beginning. And so I had to catch up there at some point. So, you know, I actually studied systems design engineering in university, but when I came out, I landed a job at a startup, you know, my friend was working in a startup. And so she got me the job and, and the job was in product marketing. And so the requirements for this job are, were, um, they were selling database products. So I got assigned to this database product and you had to know sql structured query language so you had to be able to write an sql query which i could cuz you know we did that in engineering and then you had to also not be afraid of public speaking because they wanted you to do customer facing stuff at trade shows and whatever and i had no fear of public speaking so that's how i got the job and then uh and then we had a product that i was assigned to that was essentially a failure and uh and then the thing uh, we we made the decision to attempt to reposition it based on some customer feedback that we had on it. And, and we didn't know what we were doing. So we kind of fooled around until we got positioning that worked for the thing. And then it really worked like the product took off, we were doing amazing. And so we ended up getting acquired by a big database company in Silicon Valley. And, and then after that acquisition, my boss quit. And like, I was literally standing in the hall at the right place at the right time and they were like, Hey, you're the vice president of marketing now. And I was like, Oh man
0: <laughs> I don't
2: I don't know anything. Why are you making me the vice president of marketing? And so I was terrified. And so, I embarked at that point on a kind of a journey to get an education in marketing because I was like, man, someone's going to find out I don't know anything about marketing. They're going to take this VP title away from me. (laughs) So, I read a lot of books. I took a lot of courses. I did like some post-grad stuff at a couple of big universities in the States. And so, I got caught up. Right. (laughs) (laughs) But at the beginning, it was bad. And then I was also lucky that there was... Four or five really senior people on my team um, that for some reason didn't want my job. Like, like if they were senior people and wanted my job, they could have made my life miserable. But they were very senior. They did not want to manage the team, and so they were vo- very motivated to help make me successful because they didn't want to. They didn't want me to quit, and then they'd have to run the team, and they didn't want to do it.
0: And so I learned a lot from them too. Okay. Okay. So what's so intriguing about positioning?
2: Well, so the thing about positioning, like. It felt like this first one that I worked at, we had this product that we thought it was desktop productivity software. Like literally we thought we were going to compete with Excel. And we had built this thing that was like an Excel spreadsheet, except you could program SQL queries. Okay. <laughs> so this was the idea. We got we got this thing and it's as easy to use as spreadsheet, as easy to install as a spreadsheet, but you can do, you know, structured query language stuff on it. And we did our research on it with customers and stuff before we launched it. But then we launched it. It was a total failure. Like we were selling it onesie-twosie off the website for a hundred bucks. Mm-hmm. We sold like 200 copies in six months. Like it was terrible. And so um, we went and interviewed all the customers and we got some feedback. And most of the customers just thought it was stupid. But two or three customers... We're using it in this weird way and more like an embeddable database for a mobile device, which was not what we built the thing for. But then we got intrigued with this idea. Maybe we could reposition it as that. And so long story short, we fooled around until we landed on this positioning. We repositioned it and that product went absolutely bananas like it within 6 months it had eclipsed everything else that we were selling at the company <laughs> and then we got acquired for quite a lot of money on the strength of that product which was you know the dud right and and so that really opened my eyes to like wow like if you get this wrong it's really bad and if you get it right it feels like magic right and so when I landed at the new company, they reassigned me a handful of products and said, you know, do that magic positioning thing, April. Um, and, and we took things that were kind of middling, limping along products and turned them into things that were growing. And so that felt like a magic trick to me, like in a way that, you know, a lot of the other marketing things I was doing did not feel like that. And the deeper I got into it, the other intriguing thing was – Nobody seemed to know how to do it, <laughs> and so I thought, "Boy, if you could figure this out, how to do this thing, it would be the the equivalent of being the magician, right? You would come, and there was a trick that you knew, and no one else knew, that could change the fortunes of this product." And so that got me hooked, and I'm, you know, and I'm still really interested in how does that work, and how do we make that work?
1: And is that when when the idea was born? Like, I'm going to write a book on this. Or did you always have in mind that I'm going to be a writer at some point?
2: Oh, God, no. Like, I'm a freaking engineer. Nobody wants to read my writing.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So so tell us, how how did this uh, evolve into a book? What was was that story like, the journey to the book?
2: Well, so first it was, at first I was really obsessed with this idea, like, we need a methodology. Like, if we're going to do this stuff, we need to know how to do it in a repeatable way. Because it looks like we got to do it with every product we work on. So, uh, so, so for years, that's what I was working on. Like we need a methodology. We need a way to do it. Step one, step two, step three, step four. And so after a few years I had that. And then I spent maybe 10 years after that tuning it and perfecting it. And so towards the end of my career, positioning was my jam. Like if you hired me as the VP marketing, you hired me cause I walked into your interview and said, "Hey, I think you have a positioning problem. But not only that, I know how to solve it, and I could explain to you how we were going to fix it. And that was a thing that I had that the other VPs of marketing did not have for the most part. And so, when I decided I didn't want a VP via VP marketing anymore and switched to consulting, it seemed natural for me to focus on positioning because that was already my area of specialization. Right. Um, and then once I got consulting. What I noticed was that, A, nobody really understood what positioning was, at least not the founders I was talking to. And B, it was kind of a long, convoluted thing to explain. And so at one point I got this idea, maybe I could write a book and then, you know, that would help educate people what this thing was all about. And then I could have less phone calls trying to explain it. And (laughs) people would come to me after they've read the book and have it kind of figured out. I also thought it would be a good resource for really small companies that didn't have the budget to hire a consultant to come in. And, you know, I was doing a lot of coffee meetings with these smaller guys at the time. And I thought, well, if I had a book, then, you know, instead of doing 9 million coffee meetings, I could just slide that sucker across the table and say, (laughs) read that. And that's going to get you 80% of the way there. And then when we have the coffee meeting, we're just working on the little slice of tricky stuff.
0: Yeah. So we had a crazy idea here since we have you on the show is that we should talk about positioning sure and why not use ourselves a little bit like an example here and definitely we didn't go through the step one step two step three uh you know process uh, this has more or less been an organical uh sort of um, yeah journey that we've been on so uh well daniel where should we start
1: <laughs> yeah and i <laughs> i think we're curious to to understand ourselves you know but we're using ourselves as an example here to just, you know, get an idea for anybody listening to this podcast, if they're thinking about is our positioning right, April, maybe you can walk us through some of the steps and use us as, as an example as to how you would do it in real life, so to say, so people can start thinking about this a little bit. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. Yeah, and now you know a little bit about us.
2: Yeah, yeah. So here, so yeah, and I know a bit about you, but I, I'm going to ask, I'm be the facilitator, you guys, I answer the question. So, okay. <laughs> so we start with this. So the first thing is, I want you to kind of picture... Your ideal attendees, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like the, the people that come back every year, the people that love you, the people that are like, like, so in your head, these are the people you're thinking about. So you probably have a few attendees that are maybe less than ideal. Yeah. Like maybe they show up and they're, you know, they're just not the kind of people that you want, but I want you to have like, you know, if you, if you could picture these folks, like your ideal attendees in your mind. Okay. So first question is, if you didn't exist, like Sa- didn't mm-hmm. exist. What would these folks do instead?
1: That's a great question.
2: So instead of buying a ticket to come to your thing, what would they do? And when we think about that, we kind of have two categories of, like, alternatives. Like, the first is, um, you know, whatever they were doing before Sassiest came on the scene. So that would be interesting to explore. And then the second is you know when they're making a decision to go to Sassius do, do they compare you to something else and say hey I could do Sassius or I could do one of these other things and I only have so much money so you know so I, I'm interested in that like so you know if you didn't exist what do you what are you what were you what are your good fit people doing
1: yeah Thomas I'm really nervous let's see if we have the same uh, answers and opinions here <laughs> if, if I go first then I think uh, I can speak on this and we probably both can. Uh, in terms of ex-operators you know before we did sassiest we had real jobs and we worked in b2b SaaS. and when i look back at myself uh obviously sassiest didn't exist i consumed everything from jason lemkin like saster all the podcast all the articles i still subscribe to to his stuff you know that that was a go-to inspiration source for me and they obviously have big conference in the u.s and they also run something in in Europe right now uh, so that, that was one of the destinations I went to and I can only assume that many others did too and still do yeah uh, and then I think there's also other alternatives depending a little bit on your profile or responsibility in the business that you're representing so I was always a revenue leader yeah so I joined different type of CRO or VP of sales community. And I, I think there's worth a mention here that uh, the guys from Pavilion at one point, I was a member there uh, to try to, to spar with other people and get inspired by other people that are in a similar role. Yep. Uh, so I think there's there's plenty of alternatives and options out there when, I, when you ask the questions like that.
2: Well, you, you, and, and so to just summarize that a little bit, there's, there's kind of two categories there, right? Like, so there's one category, which is sort of like something that looks a a bit more like directly comparable to you, right? Like a SaaS focused community that has an event, but also, you know, a community and resources and stuff. And then there's something that's a little bit more focused on your role or your, you know, your specific discipline, but... Thomas, what do you think?
0: Well, I think for me, if I look back, I within in my profession, I, I didn't really have a, a network of um, you know peers to uh, to talk to or meet. I, I mean, we were a SaaS company, and you know we had a community feel with our partners and customers and so on, but but not really with other you know companies or professionals within the SaaS. Industry and and I think there are on some le- some level, you know, we have these people that that maybe then goes to other conferences and so on. But I think I think what we have been able to reach is sort of creating that community on a broader level. And uh, I would probably could be in a part.
2: Well, you now no jumping ahead. Now okay, you're jumping sorry. ahead. Okay, sorry. Okay, I'm just talking about I'm just talking about alternatives. So. When you say like like, would they? What other conferences would they go to?
0: Yeah, so, so I I think that uh, there are people that wouldn't be a part of any of this.
2: They would essentially do nothing, right? Like, there's yeah, it, and so why wouldn't they go to another conference or be in, like, like why wouldn't they? I'm curious. It
0: could be too far away.
2: Um, it's not really for them. Too far away. Too like.
1: I, I think there's also another reason where sometimes these high profile, big name conferences could be intimidating. I am just a small, you know, VP at some small shop here. I can't be in the same room as the VP of sales of Zoom or Drift or whatever. Like what do I have to contribute there? So I think there's an intimidating factor that maybe feels that people like, we're we're so far from this journey Mm. I can't relate, nor can I contribute. So maybe I should just stick around here at home.
2: Yeah. Now, here's a here's thing I'm going to throw at you guys. Like, in the companies that I work with, if there is a sales team, like, you know, a sales team that actually transacts the deal with a customer, we really know the answer to this question. Like, when you ask, ask the question, like, what was the company doing before? Who ends up on a short list? Who are you getting compared to? Your sales team knows the answer to that like inside outside backwards in a case of like where you guys are at where the tickets get sold nobody talks to anybody i mean you obviously talk to people while you're at the conference but you're not necessarily asking them like hey you're coming to this did you stop going to another conference like if you didn't if you weren't here what were you doing in the years before s- sassiest existed yeah um and so it would be really interesting i think for you guys to be able to get that data yeah. and and have those conversations and say, you know, let's take us back to two, three years, like pre-pandemic, right? You guys didn't exist pre-pandemic. What were you doing?
0: Yeah. Yeah. And obviously you catch us, uh, you know, with <laughs> our pants down because we're, we are not doing that.
2: <laughs> you asked for it. yeah So now you're getting it. So, uh, so that would be the first thing. And so the folks that come to me, if they're a zero touch sales model, like you folks are, um, I don't, I I usually say we got to go do that first because, you know, what we're doing here is we're trying to put a stake in the ground to say, this is what I got to beat in order to win a deal, or this is what a customer compares me to. And so, you know, so I would, I would be doing kind of a almost a jobs to be done interview with these folks. Like, what were you doing before? You know, what else did you look at? You picked us. Why did you, you know, things like that. Instead of just rolling in and saying, what do you love about us? What you're actually trying to get a feel for is what are the alternatives that they might consider that aren't you? Mm. And so then you kind of know what you're having a position against. But let's say we've got other SaaS focused businesses, and then we've got these online communities that are more um, focused on a job. So, you know, a marketing community or growth community, or maybe there's a community for finance people or a community for sales people or whatever that is. So let's, let's assume that that's correct. The next question I would ask you then is, so what do you got that they don't have? And like, let's start with the other, let's start with the other SAS conferences or SAS communities. So mm-hmm. there's these SAS focused ones, like we'll take Saster as an example. Um, you know, so, so what, capabilities, and we're not talking about value yet, we'll worry about that in the next step, but just from a, a, a capabilities of the company, capabilities of the community, capabilities of the event, um, we'll worry about why those matter. But what do you got that they don't have? Yep. Like, for example, the obvious one is, um, y- you guys have this regional focus. right? And so, if if I'm involved in this community or at the event, I'm actually going to meet people in my community, like my physical community. Like I could, you know, if I'm from Stockholm, I'm going to meet 9,000 people from Stockholm or close enough that, you know, so I think that's a differentiator. I don't know anybody else that has that, right? So that's one thing I would put on the board. What else you got?
1: I always go first, Thomas. Let's like I make it difficult for you. Why don't you go <laughs> Why don't you go first and I'll see if I can add to this?
0: I think, you know, we have chosen to have a certain size of the event that also make it more personal and relatable. We, we, we want, you know, people to not to just be a name on a badge, but uh, be able to connect with a lot of people at the conference. And we focus a lot on social activities. Um, I would say. And another one is that not so much driven towards enterprise and, uh, and maybe sp- Selling a lot of the content and so on to sponsors, but having it very community driven. And I know that people say that, you know, being at Sassist, it was like being at Saster 10 years ago and, and so on. And yeah, there is something there, I think, that is worth to mention. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree with all of that.
2: I also agree with all of that. So whew.
1: <laughs> we're, we're in sync. Uh, I, I think also, just like you said in the beginning, there, there's something with. The fact that, you know, uh, the region that we represent, you know, just, just having access to your, your, your local peers and so on. But I think also something that we offer, at least we believe so, uh, and maybe you will be able to debunk it here. Uh, if we compare to a big conference like Saster, which has fantastic type of content, amazing speakers and so on. It's very much modeled is, is my experience and our experience here after the American model. Right. Like most of the companies represented there that take on stage, that talk about the lessons learned and so on. They have a foundation of starting their journey in the U S and we know that, you know, U S 300 million people. So completely different local access to market, to customers, different access to talent totally, and different access to, to capital. And that has been very different compared to the rest of the world. And then if you take and compare that where we started with little Nordics, suddenly that playbook doesn't apply one-to-one because I don't have access to the same capital. I don't have access to the same talent.
2: Totally agree with this.
1: And I don't have a choice but to think going international from day one because the biggest Nordic market, which is Sweden, is 9 million people. It's like... You're not going to be good if you serve nine million people. You got to from over overnight think bigger. Yeah. So I think we bring them that perspective. We bring this playbook that has worked in the U.S. or we try at least, and say like, you need to add a small market flavor to it. If you start in a market, but that's not like the U.S., this is how you do it, and that's what you're going to learn in our forums.
2: Yeah, I think I I think that's totally legitimate. Like. You know, like, one of the things I'll say is, like, there are some, like, some of the bigger SaaS events, um, they would never have someone like me speaking on stage, because the only speakers that speak on stage are sponsors. Yeah. Like, and so, you know, I think there's something to be said about the size of the company that that maybe is going to be in attendance as well? Like, I'm not sure, you know, how much you're going to learn from the head of growth at Facebook when you're- oh, exactly. <laughs> when you're at a smaller stage, you know? And so if the company's not big enough to sponsor, you're not going to see representation from them on stage necessarily at some of these bigger ones because it's pay to play to get on stage.
0: Uh, And we don't care about if you're a celebrity or if you did a gazillion billion (laughs) exit or or something like that. I mean, we're focusing on the learning aspect um, of of things. So the the next
2: step I would then ask, and this is the hard part, is like if we go down your list of differentiated capabilities, right? So there's... um, There's this regional focus, but you know, even scratching down at that deeper, this idea of this, you know, you're, you're with your peers and companies that are very much in the same situation as you in terms of how to, how to penetrate the market, you know, how much funding you have access to, the kind of talent you have access to, all that sort of stuff. Um, There's also, so the other differentiated capabilities I had down was the size of the event. So it's, you know, it's a smaller event than one of these maybe giant, you know, tens of thousands of people events. And then there's, you know, more of a focus on learning and and less of a a focus on sponsors, for example, like, you know, giving sponsors a place to pitch their stuff or be in front of the thing. Yeah. So then, so if that's our list of differentiated capabilities, then the next question is, so what? So, you know, what's the value of that? So if I peeled off, because I think that Nordic one is really interesting, right? If I peel that off and say, you know, what we've got is, you know, we're giving you access to your specific community and we're giving you lessons learned from folks in your specific community. So what? Like, what's the value for an attendee there? It's
1: a great question. You
2: or me first, Thomas. <laughs> I don't know. Let's find out. This is the hard step, by the way. For everyone watching along, right, it's easy to list differentiated capabilities. And, like, if we were talking about a product here, that would, we'd have this great big list of features. And then I'd be picking off the first feature and say, oh, we have multi-threaded database do-da-do with the AI, blah, blah, blah. And then I'm going to say, so what? Why does a customer care? Yeah. What does it enable for a customer's business? We're doing the same thing for this one. Yeah. Now for services companies, like what we're doing here, um, you know, getting the list of differentiated capabilities is often kind of tricky because you know you could add people or change the event or do things, and that would change that list very rapidly. So you got to kind of be honest about what your differentiators are. Yeah. But then once you do have the differentiators, then it's like. You really got to get down to the value, which is the so what for customers.
0: But I, I think here, I mean, compared to the time that you spend on this, the sort of investment you do, you, you get a lot of value when it comes to take part of experiences from other peers about how you can grow and uh, how you can build your business. You can, you can get a lot of new relations, new contacts. Um, grow your network and in an efficient way, uh, by going to, to the event compared to not going. I mean, it's, a can be a shortcut for you in your business in many ways.
2: Yeah. Like, like for example, you know, this idea that I could go to a different event and I could network with all these people, but you know, so, you know, so I meet my soulmate, you know, digital twin person who's amazing, but they live in California and I live in Stockholm. Like how much value am I actually gonna get out of that relationship as opposed to, uh, you know, I meet somebody in there in Copenhagen, like they're in my time zone.
0: <laughs> yeah, And I think also worth, worth to know is that, you know, we're not an event company and this is not a standalone event. This is a part of something that is ongoing throughout the years with everything from, you know, network groups to uh, local meetups to a Slack community to other things. So, I mean, this is a a way to either get into this community or to sort of uh, everything you do during the year that might be more digital and so on. And suddenly you get this big, big impact of uh, meeting everyone in person and so on
1: yeah i agree and i think that at least i believe so and hope that people feel that the real value is also in in meeting that digital twin of yours that also represents you in terms of has the same type of responsibility in a company and a company that's on a somewhat similar journey or has done the journey you've been sometimes i use the example like You can meet the CMO at Drift if you would ask him or her and be like, how did you take on the US? That gives a Swedish CEO or a Danish CEO absolutely nothing. Nothing. Because they were born in the US. You need to find somebody that did that journey. So I I think that's where the value is because we try to focus on the companies, but at the end of the day, we also focus on the individuals as to how they can become better at their job. And many of them have similar challenges to crack, if you can get hold of somebody that either has cracked it, or maybe made a few failed attempts, at least you can learn something from that, and you can help each other. So yeah. that support you find from the community, I think that's where the value is.
2: Yeah. So, so the value then, like if I if I were to rephrase that in some ways, like the value is really about developing relationships between people that are that are in very very similar situations. Um, you know, for the purposes of learning, like for the purposes of getting better at their job and learning from other people's experiences and mistakes, but not just anybody, like people that are exactly the same situation as you. So I don't know what the words are for that, but I do think that is your key value, you know, listening to you folks talk. And it, it, it taps into a lot of the other stuff you're doing, right? The fact that the event is is not overwhelmingly large it's small the fact that the event has a lot of social activities is for specifically for you know fostering those kind of connections the fact that it isn't just some you know great big companies coming in to sponsor talking to the little companies and you know that's not your jam right. like so you know i would say you have a key pillar of value there around this giving people in this region of the world a way to find people that are just like you doing the same thing that you're doing so that you can all help each other move faster and do things better. And, you know, I'm going to save you from making the dumb mistake I did last week. (laughs) Exactly.
1: Exactly. (laughs) It's that. It sounds much better when, when you, when, when you put it like that, but yes, that's, that's exactly who we try to be.
2: But that's it. So if I was you, I'd be working on. So, okay. So there's that, the, the, the last two parts of this positioning thing is, well, you know who's a really good fit for that yep. and then therefore what are you mm. like i think the who's a good fit for that is kind of obvious in your case that it's you know because you've already defined your 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 target that way but it's 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 people working in the saas industry in the nordics but it's not just the ceos it's also the head of marketing the head of sales the head of finance and so it but it's this leadership positions of people in these saas companies in the Nordic, and then the and then the last question is so what are you um you know i i, I think it's clear that you're not just a conference yep mm. right you're not just a conference so because it's not just the conference it's the ongoing stuff it's the community it's the learning it's the it's podcast it's yeah. you know, we're it's still like-
0: looking for a good uh, word here <laughs> i mean
1: we we have this big statement in uh Anybody that, uh, you know, ask us, like, send us a deck so we know who you are a little bit if they want to do something with it. I think our opening slide has something, you know, SAS Nordic or the Sassiest Mission and Vision. And in there, it's probably not phrased tight enough, but we talk about the main reason why we exist is to democratize knowledge to the ones that need it. And in this case, it'd be, it's B2B SAS operators. Right. So we want to create that forum because the knowledge is already out there. It's like, we're not reinventing knowledge or it's not like Thomas and I come up with, this is how you should scale overseas now. Like how to do it is already, it's out there. It sits within the community. We just provide the forum where we can say, as we say, democratize it. So everybody that should have access to it can access it.
2: Right. So, so interestingly, right? Like, you know, on the one hand, I could describe you as a community.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Right? I could also describe you, I could also maybe go down this path of like, it's education. Yeah. I think you're more community than education, but, but, but you are kind of knowledge building through community. Yes. Yeah. And so you may, Like, and this is something I think you guys need to go percolate on, but you, 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 what's interesting about doing this exercise is that it gives you something to think about when you're thinking about what do we do next, right? Like if you're, if what you're really trying to do is get deeper on that community thing, then the question would be, well, how do we, you know, how do we have more places for people to interact and more ways for people to learn for each, from each other and more, more of that. If you're slanting a little bit more on the education side then that's a little bit different and you might be like okay so how do we capture more of this knowledge in a way that gets spread around yep pr and communication are the keys to building awareness for your company
1: you want to make sure you reach the right people with the right message at the right time my news desk is a smart pr platform where you can manage all your communication efforts in one place MyNewsDesk makes it easier for companies of all sizes to create awareness and build relations with the people that matter the most to you. Don't make PR harder than it needs to be. Visit MyNewsDesk.com to start your free
0: trial. I think we're also working uh, or talking about community-driven um like operation is very generic, right? But yeah. uh, you know what the different things we are doing is community-driven. When we create content, when we do the conferences, uh, and so on, it's 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 driven by that. But what it actually is is it a event company? Is it a media company? Is it an education company? Is it a community? Right. It's a little bit hard to find that perfect word for it.
2: Like I, I you know, like I like. Looking at your value, if I come back to you, the value you deliver that no one else does, is this fostering these connections among people that are just like you, same situation as you, you know, because of the geographical thing, but also the stage of the company, all that kind of stuff, just like you for the purposes of learning from each other. Yeah. And so there's kind of two pillars on there, right? Like there's 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 the community, and then there's learning. Yes. And so so you could go down a path, either one of those things. Like I don't see you as a media company, for example. I I don't think that's your value. No,
0: definitely not the clickbaiting and, and ads, right? Now, if you started
2: getting big on the sponsor thing, then yeah, right. Like if we were to do this exercise for the shall by not be named giant SaaS conference. Like, I think some of the giant SaaS conferences do see themselves as media companies because what they're really doing is providing a very large audience mm. to a select group of sponsors. Yeah. Yeah. That's what they're doing. You guys are not that.
1: That makes makes a lot of sense. And I feel like half an hour in, I feel like we have some more clarity as to who we are. <laughs> 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 Luckily, I think we uh, we probably felt strong about these things that we have approached here and so, and I mentioned here, but I, I was a little bit curious, April, when you meet, you know, you, your normal customer, a B2B tech company, where across this five-step cascading process do people normally get it wrong?
2: Oh, there's lots of places, but the two most common ones are, first, the very first step where we're talking about competitive alternatives um, usually, what I've got is a room full of people and I've got head of marketing, head of sales, head of product, customer success, I got the founders. and you ask this question like if we didn't exist, what would people do? And there tends to be a lot of pretty different opinions in the room. And so if you look a lot at a lot of weak positioning in my opinion comes from a misalignment across the team about who do we actually position against. yeah and so uh, so a lot of people I think, they get it wrong by they jump straight to value. They're like, why does everybody love our stuff? What do we stand for? What's the value we can deliver? But I think it's it's important to back it up and say versus who. Okay. Like versus what, Yeah. right? Because if I'm trying to position against a spreadsheet, that's really different than trying to position against an ERP system. Yeah. Like I got to know what customers are actually comparing me against before I can understand what my differentiated value is. I got to know that. Yeah. The, the, the next part where people get it wrong is this idea of value, right? Because generally what we get at tech companies is we like to talk about the features, the capabilities, and we just assume that the customer can translate that to value. Yeah. And a lot of the times they cannot. So we say, oh, I got this AI powered, blah, 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 blah. So what?
0: Okay, I'm going to throw something in here because uh, I heard at the conference that you, you talked about uh, a lot about s- selling value and not features. So what I have seen is that you know the salesperson might go into a meeting and try to tell the customer all the value they will get from the product, mm-hmm. but they don't really understand the customer's business enough in order to to tell them what value it is. So it's more like the customer said, well, I already know what value I want from this kind of product. You know, I've been looking for this kind of product for a long time, yeah. but I, I really need these features in order for me to work efficiently. So don't tell me what I can, what I can potentially do if I have this. I want to know, you know how, how can I get this done?
2: Right, and so I think this is, in my opinion, this is the big misconception about what we're supposed to be doing in sales. Particularly in B2B, I think that, you know, a good proportion of the companies I talk to will say, look, it's not our job to teach the customer anything. The customer already knows. The customer has done their research. The customer knows exactly what they want. And it's our job to answer questions, basically. Like, you know, they're going to come in, they're going to tell us what, the, you know, they're going to say, we want these three things, show us how it works. And that's our job to just, you know, show them how it works and be an order taker. Yeah. And that's it. Because they know everything, they know how to do it. And that is so wrong. That Like, it is just my experience in selling B2B, that is so wrong. If that was true, you wouldn't need a sales team at all. Mm. Right. This would be product led growth. Yeah. <laughs> you just put that thing on the website and give us say give us a credit card. Like, why do I have a sales team at all if that's true? Yeah. Why do they want? Why do they ever click that button and say talk to a salesperson if that's true? Mm. Like, so, uh, so, uh, so. This is in my experience, it's not. Customers will come. They are experts in pain. Yeah. They are experts in this is my problem, but they are not experts in solutions. They do not know what is possible in the market. And often our differentiated value, it's not about walking in and going value, 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 value. It's about walking in and and giving them a story and a way to think about the entire market. Like what they're really trying to do is I need to buy the best solution possible for my business, for this pain. Right. But they're looking at a bunch of solutions that all look the same. They all look like they got the same features. They all look like they provide the same value. And if you just go in there and answer their questions and say, oh, you want one of those? Yeah, we got one of those. How are you ever going to stand out? Mm. And so you as the vendor, you got a thing that's different. So you've got something that's different and valuable. If you can't convince that customer that that value is important, you're never going to sell anything. (laughs) So you're going to have to figure this out. If you want to sell stuff and beat the other people, you're going to have to figure this out. Yeah. And so part of doing that is being able to walk in and say, look, like you came to me and you said, hey, you know, what I really want is a sales training solution. And I've looked at all the sales training solutions and the sales training solutions, like some of them make it really easy to set up courses and stuff. So I think I need these three features on courses and I need these three features on how to distribute the training. And it's your job to come in and say, why does sales training matter in the first place? Mm. It matters because every day your reps not making quota costs you money. Now, how do you measure that? Now, does a normal training solution allow you to measure that? Because if it doesn't, then why would you pick that? So it's my job to convince them that those three little features that they're looking for in training, who cares about that? There's this other thing they're not even thinking about, and I need to educate them about that so they can, and so what I need to do is get that customer to say, well, yeah, man, I never really thought about that, actually, yeah. Yeah. I do want a way to measure the results of my sales training. And I say, you know what? No LMS is gonna get that for you. Mm. Doesn't matter all the other little features on how to build a course or whatever. None of them are gonna get that for you. Unless they're built inside Salesforce, you'll never know whether that sales training works or not. So let me show you how we do that.
0: Okay, but that's that's also, that's the second area where, where sort of companies get, get lost and uh, so on, I, I see. So I just wanted to, to check with you. Did we go through all the five steps in, in our own little scenario or? Yeah, we did. We did, great.
2: <laughs> it's um, uh, competitive alternatives, Yep. then we go to differentiated capabilities, Then we do differentiated value. So what's the value you can deliver that no one else can? Yeah. Then the fourth is who cares a lot about that value? So in your case, it's, you know, people at SaaS companies in the Nordics. And then the last one is, therefore, what are you? What is the market category? And so in your case... You know, maybe your community, maybe your education. I don't know. I think you guys got to think about that.
0: Yeah. Let's do an offsite, Daniel. uh <laughs> <Exactly. on a laughs> Nice spa or something <laughs> with, with some bubbles and see what we find. I, out. I heard there's
1: a, there's a person that uh, might be able to guide us. Uh, she happens to live in Toronto
2: somewhere.
0: <laughs> Ontario? The yeah. next
2: piece you have to do then is once you understand that, now you got to be able to translate that into the story that contextualizes it, right? Mm. So... So it's one thing to say, Hey, like our big value is we're going to get people in the Nordics, this, I, you know, this access to this community so they can foster these tight relationships so they can deepen their knowledge. And all of this is going to improve the business. So, you know, then the question is, how do I put that into a story? So if I think about that, I would start with, you know, I got to contextualize that value and then I got to compare it to the other alternatives. So I would start that story about saying, Hey, people that work at a SaaS company, like what's the best way to learn stuff, you know, about how to do marketing or how to do sales or how to be a great SaaS founder. We all know the best way to learn that stuff is to learn it from other people in the trenches that are doing stuff just like you, right? We know this. Now there's lots of different things you could do. Like there's lots of sources of knowledge and information. You could go to the big SaaS conference in Silicon Valley. Do you know? And that's great. There's a lot of good stuff there to learn. But the thing that's missing there is, you know, those people in Silicon Valley, they don't have the same access to capital as you. They don't have that same access to talent as you. So you're going to make all these relationships, but you're learning. I don't know. You're going to have to filter that. Now, you could do some online stuff, you know, just for the marketing people or the finance people or whatever. What's missing there is, you know, again, maybe not so much learnings that are specific to you and also this ability to foster these deeper relationships with people because they're not in your actual physical community and you know, you're not actually meeting with them face to face potentially ever. And so how do I actually get past just, you know, I'm a, I'm an icon in an online community to I'm actually building a relationship <laughs> with you. So in a perfect world, what we would have is an opportunity for smart, people working in SaaS in the Nordics to get together face-to-face, but also have all this other stuff like community and podcasts and all these regional meetups, whatever you guys do, I don't even know. (laughs) And so to foster those deep relationships amongst people, we want that, Yeah. right? Yes. That's what we want. I love that. And then you say, and then you as the attendee goes, yeah, that's what I want. And then you say, great, (laughs) that's what we got. We're SAS Nordics, here's what we do, here's how we do it, blah blah blah.
1: Yeah, that is awesome.
2: So that's it. That's the, that's how I would pitch it, right? So it's one thing to know this is my differentiated value, this is my this is my uh positioning, but then it's really important to be able to translate that positioning into a story that helps the customer go, "Oh yeah, yeah, I get I get what I'm going to get out of this thing now." Yeah. And I get why I'm not going to get at, at that out of the other things that I'm doing.
1: Yeah. And at a, at a tech company, at a B2B SaaS company, once you've gone through these five steps and it's, it's time to craft that story, yeah. does the committee that were through these five steps craft it together or is it now handed over like, okay, they're VP marketing. It's, it's your turn now to shine. Figure this out now.
2: I think crafting that story is actually really hard. Like this is part of the reason why I'm working on book two is I don't think a lot of people have a structured way of building that story or, or a sales pitch. Like I don't think a lot of people have been taught that. Yeah. And so that's a lot of the work that I'm focused on right now. So how we do it when I'm working with clients is we have this cross functional team, we work through the positioning and then the way I actually do it is I take the positioning and I build a draft story using my structure. And then we come in together, we get the whole team together and I explained the structure like, you know, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. These are the eight pieces of a good sales pitch. And then I would pitch a draft version of it so everybody could see it end to end. So they kind of get their heads around it. And then we'd spend the rest of the time tweaking on the, you know, the bits I got wrong because I'm not an expert in your business and whatever. And then we, until we got to something that we liked. So my goal with book number two is to give you that structure for that sales process so you can use book one to build the positioning and then book two to then take that positioning and translate it into a sales pitch and now you got
0: both i like that i think you have a great positioning of of those books (laughs) thanks (laughs) exactly (laughs) (laughs) it would be worrisome if i didn't (laughs) i I have
1: one one last one last question here for you and listening to you going through the five steps or guiding us through them it just made me think, you know, like, especially in, in B2B SaaS, many companies, they live in a very fast-moving type of environment. Yes. Like things that were true one year ago may no longer be true. Yep. And how often should one sit down and revisit this positioning? Like, is there a norm or standard for that?
2: Yeah, so he, what I recommend is that the company puts a standing meeting on the cal- on the calendar to reconvene the group to do a positioning check-in. When I was a VP marketing, we used to do it every six months. So every six months. And then we would call an emergency one if something big happened. So, you know, I worked at a company once where we had this positioning. and It was really tightly tied with we had a strategic partnership with MySQL, and my SQL got acquired. Like it was like, oh well, now we better convene the emergency <laughs> positioning <laughs> meeting because you know stuff's going to be different. Um, right. But otherwise, I would put a standing meeting every six months. Get the gang together it, because we can't predict. You know when this positioning is going to need to change. Right. So if we have a standing meeting, then we do, Then we make sure we got a. We you know we're not leaving it too long. So we, six months, we get the gang together and we're like, okay, competitors, is it all the same? Are we seeing anybody new pop up? Has anything changed there? Yeah. Differentiated capabilities. Maybe we put out a new version and we got different features to talk about now, or maybe our competitors caught up in some way. And so is, are the differentiated capabilities the same? And then really what you're looking for is, has anything changed enough that it changes your differentiated value? If, if something's changed enough that, hey, the value we're driving here is different, then we got to go back and redo the whole exercise and shift the positioning. If nothing's changed, then we say,
0: great, it's all good, see you in six months. All right. And uh, who owns this uh, meeting?
2: So, usually, like, I, like, I'm a big believer in cross-functional teams to work on this stuff, but I think somebody needs to be the steward of positioning and kind of, you know, be responsible for it, and then part of their job is calling that meeting. Um, and so... Like I, I feel like this is a very foundational product manage or product marketing thing. So if you have a product marketing team, then the head of product marketing owns that. If you don't have a separate product ma- marketing function, then it's, it's usually either product or marketing, most commonly marketing. So marketing would own that and then own the, like I was always the VP marketing. And so I would own that and I would own convening the group together importantly, I am not cooking up positioning on my own in the marketing department (laughs) without everybody else, but, but I am driving the, the effort to, um, to tighten the positioning and making sure that the positioning isn't you know that isn't starting to drift or get stale, or something's happened, and we haven't responded to that.
0: Okay, yeah, cool. So um, to end off here, what's in the future for you? When, when, if someone wants to see more about April Dunford, hear more about you, read more about you, what what's going on?
2: Uh, so there's a couple of things. So, uh, so right now I'm probably like on social media, I'm probably most active on LinkedIn yep. these days. So if you follow me on LinkedIn, I'm pretty easy to find and, and you'll get, you know, I'm usually writing about something once a week or twice a week over there. Um, I, my website is aprildunfor.com. So if you're interested in talking to me as a consultant or whatever, you can find out about it there. And then, you know, I do a lot of podcasts and stuff and I am, about to launch a podcast
0: ah, nice. is the name official or
2: i don't know yet no it's not <laughs> okay <laughs> you know i'm really into like really basic descriptive names so if you're to ask me right now i'd say the name is probably going to be positioning oh
1: all right and and are you going to interview folks on that like you're gonna have guests or is it you dropping knowledge once a week i
2: think it's gonna be a bit of both so i think i so i do like the idea of me coming in and doing a deep dive on a subject that i don't get to go deep on and like i'm a guest at a lot of podcasts but you know, we don't always get to go deep on really esoteric things about positioning. So I'd like to have the opportunity to do that in a video format, I think would be good. Mm. But I also know a lot of really smart people. And some of the CEOs that I've worked with, I think it would be great to bring them on and talk about their process and what they did and how did they shift it. And did it stick? Did it not stick? What happened afterwards? Like, I think that would be really interesting for people. So I think it's going to be a bit of both.
0: And when, when can we expect the book uh, to be available, the new one?
2: Oh, so new book, new book about how to build a great sales pitch or a sales story. That's coming October, first week of October.
0: Okay. And is there anyone that you think we should bring on the show here?
2: Um, well, I know, I don't know. Like, I know a lot of good people that I think would be that your audience would like, like, um, you know, like, I, I think there's like, my friends, Claire and Gia are launching a book next week called Forget the Funnel. And their, their expertise is really around, um, really understanding your customers better and using that to drive growth. And so I think they would be great people to have on the, on the podcast.
1: Okay. It's the name of their business as well, right? Forget the funnel. Yeah. Yeah.
2: They would be, they would be great. Um, I have another friend of mine that, that her topic is, she covers a bunch of things that are just non obvious topics, but I think that, that founders would really be interested in. Um, and, uh, and, and she covers, um, imposter syndrome is one of the things she talks about. Mm-hmm. She also, and she's got a new talk that's really cool that's about like, how to leave a legacy, like, like what are you working towards and what do you want your legacy to be when you're gone? Which I think is some sort of deep topics yeah. <laughs> for founders. <laughs> I think this would be, um, yeah. her name's Tiffany. I can send you her, her contact details, but I think she, w- she would be a great one on the podcast to talk about this stuff. I think would be neat. Yeah. And then the other person I think is, who's amazing um, is Bob Mesta. His last name is M O E S T A. And, He's one of the fathers of jobs theory and jobs to be done. Okay. And um, you seem a bit on the conference circuit, like occasionally he pops up at a conference and... He's just super smart about this job stuff and and is full of great stories. So, you know, get him on the pod. He'd be great.
1: Thomas, you must be a big fan. Oh, he's great. Do you, do you know Bob Mesta?
0: No, I don't. Uh, but I'm definitely going to look into it. What, what's this model that you've introduced to, to us? Does, is that not called? I'm not sure if it's the same thing, you know, uh, getting things done uh, and those kind of pro- productivity hacks. Oh, but, getting uh, things
2: done is a little bit different. Yeah. This is jobs to be done, which the product management people are really into jobs theory and jobs to be done. It's a d- different thing. And this is uh, this is more about uh, Clayton Christensen competing against Locke, and so this guy Bob worked directly with Clayton Christensen, you know, with some of that research, and so he's the big brain guy that knows a lot about this stuff.
1: All right, so we have some uh, good episodes to look look forward to here, and some interesting people to come on the show. All right, yeah, cool. Uh, April, it's always a pleasure. Thank you so much for hanging yet another hour with us here and and dropping some knowledge on us and also sharing some stuff with the community here, which is much appreciated. So maybe our next product, whatever that's gonna be, maybe some will you see like credit the podcast with April.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Sure. Cool, thank you so much. Well,
2: thanks so much for having me on. This was fun.
0: Daniel, this was great, but what's your greatest takeaways? Positioning is hard. Okay, thank you. My takeaway (laughs) is, all right, you can you can elaborate. Uh, Positioning is hard. I know it's unfair that I always go first, like, why don't you go and then I will go after you. Uh, And I mean, I would say, having heard what people are talking about also after her presentation is that, you know, the number one step in her model here, what would people use if you weren't around? That is a very good question and, and even us you know we couldn't really answer that in, in a really good way. We had some ideas and so on but, but also we didn't have that really good answer where we felt that we had you know this figured out totally right yeah I mean you're absolutely right I can see I can see how this can become a very difficult
1: exercise Now in this case we were rather aligned because it's just two of us. And we basically sit next to each other 10 hours a day. Yeah So like there's little misalignment there, but I can see how in a B2B SaAS company, you bring in a management team, there's five, six, seven, eight people. I could see how this could become really difficult to do because there's so many different opinions, so many different positions and perspectives. Yeah. But that also then brings me to my key point and takeaway. I think she said something like positioning, it's nothing you do once and then it's there. You have to realign on this every six months mm. because otherwise there's a risk that there's misalignment internally, which will make your positioning outwards not great. So I thought that was interesting that it's, it's not a one Time exercise.
0: You gotta do it all the time and regularly. Yeah, and hopefully this is easier for you guys out there with the SaaS companies. But you know what was evidently and we already know this, you know, the last point. Who are you? What are you? We're still <laughs> trying to figure that out. <laughs> I mean I think actually she like
1: without spilling the beans or anyway, not that it, we you know we we operate very openly and we we build in public and so on, but I think she touched upon some things that we we truly also feel could relate to us. You know, are we a community? Are we some kind of educational institution? She was, you know, firm on on her beliefs that we're definitely not a media company. And I can sign off on those things. Like I, I think it was like. Uh, kudos to her for figuring that out in 30 minutes
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah definitely but I mean let's see if we can get some days off doing some strategy and positioning uh, stuff ourselves that would be great Um, but we have a lot of things uh, in front of us as well i mean the year is not over just because the big sassiest event has been actually we are planning for the next sassiest digital event it will go off in the end of september so we are looking into the speakers the agenda the setup of that event Uh, we're also probably going to do a meetup in copenhagen before the summer that is our intention anyway and then you know continuing our network meetings the, the media production and all of that and maybe also launch some new kind of event we're talking about an investor day you can expect a, a new jobs day during the end of the year and what you also can expect is us having a lot of new guests for you every week here at the Sass Nordic podcast if you have anyone that you would like to see on the show please reach out you can email us at contact at you can reach out on LinkedIn if we are connected and uh, we'll make it happen and uh, yeah i think that's it so thank you so much for being with us this 45 minutes 50 minutes i don't know where we ended and see you around see you around